Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. This is Eating Crow with Pete Durand. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Eating Crow podcast. I am joined by Ciro Casabane. Is that pronounced correctly? I want I want everybody to hear you pronounce Close it. Close enough. Ciro Casabian. Well, I can't say it like that. That's too cool. Say it again. Ciro Casabian. Casabian. I got that. I'm actually happier that you got the first name right. At least you didn't say zero. That's good enough for me. So... Where are you from? I mean, what's the name? What's it all mean? Well, I'm born and raised in LA, but my roots, very strong Armenian roots. So ser in Armenian means means love. Sero is with love. And uh, living in Baja, California throughout the pandemic, I found out that ser in Spanish means like to be, being. So I was like, that's, that's pretty cool. That's kind of like me. I just like to be. So I think it's a suiting name. It is Armenian. My mom was reading uh, romance novels, and the author of the romance novel was uh, Sero. She said, all right, I'm going to name my son Sero. So how long have uh, you and your family been in the U.S., Sero? They have been here definitely longer than me. Early 80s, they've been in L.A. Okay. And I was born in L.A., and I got to tell you, it is one hell of an opportunistic place. There is all sorts of opportunity here. And I know as crazy as things can be in California these days, in LA these days, this place is it. This is where all my crazy ideas come from. This is where my mind gets to run wild. This is where you get to go to Venice Beach and run into a famous tattoo artist, a famous celebrity, a famous dancer, a famous gymnast, a famous ex-Olympian. And you get to find out they're actually regular people. They're just like you and I. They're honestly no different. In fact, they don't want to be recognized. They're there with their families. They want exactly what you want. They went to Venice Beach to enjoy the beach, enjoy the workout equipment, watch some cool acrobatics, some cool dancers, some cool skaters, and that's it. That's what we want to do too. You get to see that. You get to see people are actually really human, but maybe that's because of my perspective. LA can also be a hellhole. It is a doggy dog world here too. So... It is. It is. We were talking before we started recording. Uh, I spent a couple of years in Southern California and, and lots of love about it. Uh, economics, taxes, pretty tough in California right now and only getting tougher. We'll leave that for a separate podcast, but I want to jump into your really diverse background. I mean, you're my first real rocket scientist you know, on the program. I've never had a rocket scientist on the program, so we'll talk about that as well. But one of the things we talk about is leadership and entrepreneurship, and you have pivoted more than most people I know from rocket science, literally rocket science, to you're this brand guy now. And it's an emotional, you know, get your arms around it, love it, embrace it brand. I want to start there and work our way back and, and talk about what led to this decision. You've got a master's in public health. You've been a rocket scientist, all these diverse frames of mind. And now you're selling like t-shirts and branded products. And I mean, where, how did that happen? And I'm just getting started with life too. I thought I peaked when I was at NASA. I really did think that for a long time. I thought, now what? I'm about to leave after three years. Anything after this is downhill. Well, that's all right. My son tells me I peaked in high school all the time. At least you peaked at NASA. I mean, honestly, it's not that far because it wasn't really that, that much longer after high school. So maybe I was just riding the high school wave 
Oh, NASA is a long way from the high school I went to, buddy. Believe me. So this company is called Seven Clothing. Yes. And it's called Clothing with an Actual Cause. And by the way, for people that are out there that don't realize, this is a tough industry. I mean, a branding a clothing line is really hard. So what's the secret behind the name and Clothing with an Actual What's the cause? So the Roman normal seven, we were at first thinking, let's talk about the seven deadly sins because we're, we're sick of the whitewashing. I'm really, really fed up with the whitewashing, especially greenwashing. So I'm also uh, uh, with through NASA and through my government work being in air quality, air pollution specifically, I got really sick of the greenwashing. I started to understand climate change, uh, sustainability ESG scoring, things like that was actually greenwashing. It has absolutely nothing to do with the public health, environmental health, nothing. They're not aimed at improving air quality. They're not aimed at improving water quality, the quality of anybody's life at all. So I wanted to create something that highlights that, that highlights this is the world really as it is. I'm not going to talk about just the seven virtues. I'm going to talk about the seven deadly sins. Because that's actually what I see every single day far more than I see the seven virtues being played out. So on LinkedIn, for example, we have these whitewashed posts about sales, sales enablement, be positive. Fuck all of that. That's not human. I want to hear humans talking about human struggles. I want to hear about what happened to you during the pandemic. I want to hear about how you had to transition. I want to hear about how you used to be a teacher and you can't be a teacher anymore. The pandemic woke you up. It made you realize you've accepted complacency. You've lost all ambition because it chips away at you slowly. You don't realize it. It's a very slow death of your ambition to be working somewhere, to be working for people where you cannot be your full self. Mm. And that's been my all of my experiences. That's why I kept pivoting. Because I'm like, I can't get to be myself here. I can't get to employ all the things I've learned. I have a skill set from NASA and I don't get to employ that here. Maybe I'm not the problem. Maybe NASA's data sets and, and capabilities aren't the problem. Maybe my employer is the problem. Interesting. So, by the way, I don't know if you saw me lean in, right? When you said greenwashing, whitewashing. I'm like, okay, here we go. This is awesome. Now, oh, the meat and bones of it. Yeah. So, Cyril, I got to ask you a question. I may be completely off target here, but. When you think about, you're obviously highly educated, highly intelligent. I'm trying. When you think about your approach, how much of your parents' upbringing with you in their their life in Armenia, their life in the U.S., they've seen, obviously, they've seen the U.S. and, and even L.A. transform in the last 30 years, right? It's very different than it used to be. Very much. How much of their thinking do you believe frames your way of thinking? I think I'm a carbon copy of them and I am okay. unlearning a lot of what they taught me and it's no fault of their own. And I am relearning it with the newfound perspective I have through my work experiences. So they gave me a great start, but it was for working in an ideal world. It was for in a place where community is appreciated, where contribution of each community member is recognized and valued. I really thought that's what America was like too. I'm, like I said, I'm born and raised here. That's the America I thought I was growing in, up into. And that's what they thought they were raising me in because that's the experience they had back at home. They were living a paradise life, Mediterranean country, Mediterranean fish, Mediterranean diet, Mediterranean lifestyle. There was no reason to want to live until 
of course, there was, you know, civil unrest and government issues, what have you. They were raised thinking, hey, we, we're just going to raise them like we were raised in those Mediterranean countries and it'll be okay. But this is not a Mediterranean environment. This is not an environment where you love thy neighbor. This is not an environment where the community is participating. There is actually, it's fractional participation. So it wasn't the America that I was sold on as a, as a child. So coming into, into it as an adult, I was extremely naive. I mean, I'm still naive today. And I have to check myself sometimes. So their upbringing had a lot to do with it. Their experiences had a lot to do, to do with it. I didn't want to recreate that kind of life where they had to just drop everything and come over in suitcases and start literally from scratch. You make some interesting points. I think a, a lot of people, particularly in the U.S., don't realize that many European Mediterranean countries have a, particularly in the older generation, I have to admit I'm in that generation now, have a, a more servitude, neighborly, others before me attitude, right? They don't wake up in the morning and think about me, 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 what about me, instant gratification. They literally are willing to sacrifice something for the greater good and also an incredible amount of common sense. Like, this just isn't the right thing to do. We're not going to do it. We're going to do this instead. And, and, and by the way, they were surrounded by people with similar views. And it was great, like you said, until it wasn't, right? And you had to get out. But because by the way, some people might look at this liquid death, the water company, right? Yes. I'm glad you mentioned them. Incredible branding. And I have a couple other people on LinkedIn have been poking at me to go buy liquid death, right? <laughs> but again, it's incredible branding. It's not what you think it is, right? It's just incredible branding. But with you guys, it's almost subtle in the other direction, right? Seven clothing company, but then you find out it's literally about the seven deadly sins, you know, liquid death. Oh, it's just about water. When you guys, you're, you're talking the real deal. How do you position that? That was something that was so, so fucking difficult at first because mm -hmm. I thought I need to bite my tongue. I need to tone down settle. I need to dilute myself a little bit, right? I need to step back. Let somebody else step in. Someone that's, that understands the, the teenagers, 20-year-olds a little more. I'm not 15 years old anymore. I'm not 25 years old anymore. I've been hardened. I've been calloused through my work experiences, through seeing the world for what it really actually is. The world is actually a horrific place. I love when we talk about how beautiful it is. Yeah, sure, it's beautiful. If you're going to say it's beautiful, you need to look at the whole picture. It's also incredibly horrific. But if I think about that all day, I get nowhere. I can't help anybody, right? So that's why I'm focusing on what, where the beauty is. And that was a very difficult balance to strike. I didn't want to whitewash and greenwash things. I didn't want to act like Los Angeles's pollution right now currently is not radioactive when it is radioactive. I don't want to act like it, it's safe when it's actually very dangerous in certain areas. But I also don't want to rub that in people's faces. Like, haha, look, you're living in downtown LA. Oh, yeah, and I know you can't move out right now. I don't want to rub that in your face right now. I don't know what your situation is like. I don't know what you're needing to deal with right now. But I also don't want you to ignore your surroundings. So it's like, well, how do we make the brand show that? Where can we strike this balance? After crashing and almost having burnout again, but this time I was smart enough. I didn't let the burnout happen. I saw the red flag and I said, stop the burnout right here. I'm not being myself. The last time I wasn't myself, the last time I ignored red flags, it ended up in cancer. It ended up in losing my job. It ended up in my marriage dissolving. 
It ended up in me needing to move to Baja, California and get stem cell therapy so that I can fight off the cancer because chemo and radiation was instructed to me here and I was given a five-year death sentence. Hmm. So maybe diluting myself, biting my tongue is not the best way to go. And I just need to trust my gut. My gut is saying, settle, be yourself. So you start putting out content. You're testing things out, right? You're shamelessly just making a video about yourself. You have absolutely no idea if you're committing social suicide. Every day, buddy. How do you know that without <laughs> actually trying that out? How do you know you're going to break your leg on that 100-mile ultra marathon without actually even trying the training? I'd rather break my leg and know that I tried it than sit around for the rest of my life and think, what if I ran that 100-mile ultra marathon? What if? You make such a profound point there. I've had people, you know, I've had numerous injuries over my life from triathlon training, got hit by a truck. I mean, you name it, all sorts of broken bones and sprains and aches. People are like, well, why do you keep doing it? I'm like, because I'm moving forward, right? I mean, 99% of my body feels great. One nick every now and then isn't a big deal. And you just work through it. And you experience so much in just the chemical and emotional makeup of what you turn on when you exercise or push your body that people don't realize they're missing, right? You sit in front of a TV for four hours versus getting outside and working your body. Let's step back for a minute and talk about a couple key moments in your life, right? So you, you're diagnosed with cancer. When was this? How long ago was it? So this was, I want to say 2019, 2020. So not too long. Yeah. So early 2019 is when there were two whistleblowers from my government agency that, that I was working for. They had settled for millions and that was a complete shock to me. I was driving to work that morning and I get a notification and it's my wife and she's saying, you need to call me. So I pull over, I call, she goes, your agency is in this article and there's two whistleblowers and they've settled for millions and it's related to one of the places that you're doing an environmental emission test at. Wow. And I read the article and I, and she was right. They were, our agency was essentially getting rid of records that showed without a shadow of a doubt that cancer clusters in San Francisco in these newly uh, constructed residential areas, all those cancer clusters, all the records that were being erased, they were all directly connected. Those records were implicating these oil refineries and other asphalt producing companies like red handed. It's irrefutable evidence. Like they were done for and that their permits were going to get pulled. This is something the public doesn't know. San Francisco is not run by Silicon Valley. It's run by the oil refineries that are north of the Golden Gate Bridge or more commonly known as Refinery Row. They literally have the power to pull Google's power. No pun intended there, but that's some serious power. Right. You don't tow the line for the oil refineries, you get slapped by them. You don't have power. Or they, they'll come after you in a different way. So without saying, saying too much about that, you'll have to forgive me. I can't really remember the, uh, the initial question here. The cancer diagnosis. What kind of cancer was it, by the way, if, you, if you're willing to share? Not, not too willing to share. I'll just say it was in my gut. It was starting to go into the chest. The only part I've kept is the one that's still on the shoulder here. It's, it sticks out. It looks like a, this extra little sack that I have in front of my shoulder. I can pull it out. Yeah, I could protrude it. I don't want it removed. I want it to stay there. I need that reminder. So 
back to what you were talking about, about how my parents' upbringing, how it affected what I do, they would keep their mouths shut in the face of authority, especially a physician. If a physician is speaking, the physician is the word of God, right? Well, I trusted my supervisors. I trusted my leadership. I trusted the EPA. I truly gave my life to them. I put it there in their hands. That same naivety that dinged my parents dinged me as well. That's why I had to unlearn that naivety. And that's why I'm not ungrateful for that experience. That experience sure. gave me an actual life. I was no longer a cog in a machine. And I wish it didn't have to happen that way. I don't know anyone, though, that is a wonderful person to be around that hasn't eaten untold buckets of shit, that hasn't had a dance with death, that hasn't had serious loss. I'm not talking about losing money on a football game. I'm talking about losing a family member, losing a limb, losing everything you own, and you're back to square one, except now you're older too. I don't know anyone that hasn't gone through those difficult experiences. And that's why I love using the analogy, like life is a bed of roses, except there's a lot of pricks in it. And nobody wants to sleep on it. Yeah. There's no question. People with true character that have achieved some sort of level of success. And by the way, everybody measures success differently. It doesn't have to be monetary. It can be happiness. It can be enlightenment. It can be parenthood. It can be volunteering. It could be anything. They've had some peaks and some valleys and the valleys are dark places. Iron sharpens iron. That's where people are truly made is when they've seen, as you described, seen some shit or this program's about, which is why you're on it, eating some crow, right? And sometimes the things they've that have been bad have been self-inflicted, right? By choice or by ignoring something. Almost every guest that has been on your podcast, they've created something great. And you see the final product. And then you dig into their story and you find out, yeah. boy, was their life not that great. Sure. They really had some difficult times. Losing a child, losing a spouse, that's not easy. And that's stuff that can actually end up ending your life. But there are worse things than death. And I figured that out the hard way. Mm -hmm. You could be living and, you, and you're not alive. I think that's worse than death. I want to tie all this back to the, to the seven deadly sins in the company because there's so much more depth. I mean, I get people on the program sometimes that talk about their job. Very interesting. This is, there's so much depth to what you're doing here. Your company is, is deceiving the public. They're harming people. You've the stress of that situation in the face of authority, you become sick. You said your marriage suffered as a result. All those things that you screwed, this crucible you're going through. When you come out of that on the other side, at what point are you sitting there and, and have this enlightenment that says, I've got to do something different? What is that? What's that moment like? It was the same aha moment, same eureka moment I had a few weeks ago with my content creation with what is my brand? I realized my brand is actually me. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize people want to hear my story. Why would people want to hear about Seto? And as an Armenian, I don't like talking about myself. I like it when other people talk about me. I want my work to speak for, for itself. I want the people that know me to speak for me. I really don't like talking about myself, tooting my own horn. Even during an interview, mm -hmm. I have difficulty tooting my own horn during an interview. It, it just doesn't feel right. My gut says, like, don't talk like this. And you know what? My gut's trying to warn me. It's saying, if you need to toot your own horn, if you need to talk too much about yourself, maybe you're working with the wrong people. And I didn't used to think like that. I used to try to ignore the gut feeling. So now, realizing I have to be me, 
And that's all people want to hear. They want to hear what experiences in Seto's life led to him wanting to have a shirt company, a clothing company, from NASA to T-shirts. Why is he choosing not pursuing NASA again? Because I can. I'm seven miles away from them. Hell, I could ride my bike mm-hmm. to work there if I want. Or I could get a job at Caltech because Caltech and this NASA field site here, they're buddy-buddy. And they have been since the beginning. So a job at Caltech, a job with NASA again, that sounds cool, right? That sounds fun. It's the toy department for people who love sciences. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's what it looks like. Just like impossible meat. Looks great on the outside, right? It's healthy for you. It doesn't have any byproducts, hormones, antibiotics. And then you look at the first two ingredients. Yeah. It's not fit for human consumption. I realize that every single time I have not been myself, every single time I've needed to dilute myself, I've ended up in a worse spot. And that's why nobody knows about NASA now. That's why nobody knows about the astronauts. Astronaut names used to be household names across America, across the world even at one point in time. Now we don't even know when NASA's next launch is. We don't know any of the names of their astronauts. But you know who SpaceX is, huh? That's because they went against the grain. Their marketing content went against the grain. And I keep seeing that writing on the wall, and I kept ignoring it. I'm not ignoring it anymore. The writing on the wall is saying, if you don't be yourself, you're going to pay with it with pain. How did Seven Clothing, you mentioned earlier, you touched on a little bit about how you went from really trying to expose these seven deadly sins as part of everyday life. You made an interesting point before about, hey, this is a tough place to live. You can't get out. I don't, I don't want to bang you over the head with that. So what's the end game when you, when you build this brand? What is it you want people to feel when they see a shirt? Uh-huh. This is what I love about art. Your interpretation is right. In fact, everyone's interpretation is right. Not only is it right, there is no way to prove that it's wrong. Mm-hmm. Just that alone can unify us. So I show an art piece to you and I hear your interpretation. Your life experiences are going to relate to that art piece, certain life experiences. And you're going to voice your opinion based on what those life experiences, what that artwork is reminding of those life experiences, essentially giving me a short, quick, brief synopsis of those life experiences and how that artwork is reminding you of them. Now, it may not be direct. You may just state to me how it makes you feel. But it's really interesting. Why is it making you feel that way? It's because of those certain life experiences. So now I get to dive deep into why does it make you feel that way? Now we're connected because I actually care about hearing about why the artwork on that shirt made you feel that way. We, we're already connected. We're not even talking about Democrat, Republican here. We're not talking about whether or not you like Trump, whether or not you like Biden. We're not even talking about whether or not you like California, Florida, black, white, doesn't matter. We're just talking about how we each have had life experiences and how mine and yours are relating to this one artwork. We've just been unified. So I think this is why we connected because I I actually did a post, geez, probably a month ago about that very thing, right? Which is when, when a lot of the recent news came out, Roe versus Wade, Buffalo, you know, the the shooting in Texas. All bullshit. People instantly went to their went to both end, you know, went to their ends of the spectrum and dug in and said everybody's wrong. 
that's not thinking like me. You gave a great analogy, and, and I haven't heard anybody express this the way you have, and we should be talking about it more. I worded it one way, which maybe wasn't as effective. I simply said, we all want our own point of view to rule the day, and we want to dismiss other people's point of view in a matter of seconds. When they don't realize that point of view is shaped over years of parenting, education, life experiences, tragedy, trauma, the neighbor, uh, their first girlfriend, their first boyfriend, their first teacher, yes. all those things shape their point of view. And like you said, it's not necessarily right or wrong. It's their point of view. And if we can recognize that and have a conversation, like you said, connect. I love your thought process about using art as the analogy or the metaphor here. You're right. Somebody gave me the same metaphor about wine. If the wine tastes good to you, it's a good wine. End of story. Absolutely. Absolutely. If you like it, it's a good wine. Now, we can all learn more. We can continue to grow and appreciate other people's point of views and experiences, educate ourselves to understand their position. And maybe, and this is in our episode zero, change our perspective, change our way of thinking by eating some crow and listening. I'm certainly recognizing the fact that I've my point of view has not necessarily been right <laughs> or correct, but it's still been formed over a period of time, but can be reformed. I love the reform part right there. That's the key part that it can be reformed because what, what does a true, I am a scientist at the end of the day, no matter what I do, I will always be a scientist, whether I want to or not. Mm -hmm. What does a true scientist do? Observe first, not speak up first, observe. And you keep observing and you take down notes based on your notes, which are based on your observations. Then you come up with a result and then you could add the, the human bias with opinion to that result. But the result is not the opinion. The result is the interpretation of the obser observations. Sure. Then humans can come in and come up with their own interpretation, their opinions of it. Okay. But I am ready to disavow everything that I believe in today based on new information, based on a scientist actually going out in the field, observing, collecting data and say, Sero, I collected this data. What do you think? These are my findings. Without telling me their opinion first, by the way. Correct. Show me the data. Then we'll talk. Because if you show me the data and you give me your opinion, you're Dr. Fauci. You're President Joe Biden. And that's very, very dangerous to do. Because if I need to trust you, Dr. Fauci, if I need to trust you, President Joe Biden, and you've done this, you've taken science and you've contorted it with your opinion without giving us the data first, that's a very dangerous situation. I need to trust you. I want to trust you. I don't have time to look at what is this COVID-19 virus doing? What is this booster doing? Is it effective or not? I just, I don't have the time to do that. I have to go after my own life. You go to a doctor. You're not wondering, did this doctor do a bunch of literature reviews over the weekend? Did they look up what's the next best medication? Did they look up in the VAERS system if this shot is affecting seven-year-olds? That maybe it may have an adverse reaction with my son or daughter who has a pre-existing health condition? You're assuming they do that. The reality the last time they did that was in medical school. That's the reality. The reality, they have to keep seeing patients so that they can actually turn a profit because the insurance company is reimbursing so little. When someone buys one of your shirts, what is it that you hope to accomplish, even in their wildly different interpretations of it? What would be the goal of the company in that situation? 
unification through exposing. So exposing how the medical industry is not what you think it is. The education system for our children is not what you think it is. The university system is actually a scam and it works against you, not for you. That some of the best doctors in the world came from third world countries, not first world countries, which really gets you thinking, is our medical system, our university system really the best? It's not at all, not even by a long shot. That's very painful to to admit. So I want people to be able to look at it, think of any topic that relates to them and feel unified with those around them because they're like, now I know a little more about the truth on this. And I actually knew the truth on this, but I was biting my tongue. Now I get to wear clothing that indirectly sends that message. So if you see it and I see it, we both kind of know without even saying anything. We're like, oh, you know, I know you're in the know. Kind of like V for Vendetta, that cult movie. If you see a V for Vendetta shirt and you look at the other person and you make eye contact, you're like, oh, yeah, I know. I know that you know and you know that I know. We don't even need to talk. We're already connected just by saying that. Banksy's artwork. Nobody owns any of Banksy's artwork, yet both you and I know about Banksy. He loves exposing the world the way it is. And that's what we're trying to be. We're trying to be that version of Banksy, but with clothing, but in a modern world. Because we can't stay in the shadows anymore. We can't just keep this information in small communities anymore. People really need to know about this. People really need to know. Do not, your doctor is not the gospel. Your government official is not the gospel. Okay? Your state official is not the gospel. You are. You have the power to learn all of this. Understand what's best for you. Have you guys formed the seven sins you're trying to expose right now? Are they defined or are you adding and subtracting? Is it really 49 sins or how's it working? We are actually completely subtracting everything and we're not even going to be explaining it at all. We're, in fact, not only that, not only that, we're not even going to call it seven deadly sins or it's just a Roman numeral seven. Why? If we put, for example, this shirt, if we put Joe Biden's face on this shirt, that's actually going to really corner us. And we're going to kind of corner a bit of the population too, right? But if I don't put Joe Biden's face on this shirt, if I don't put Trump's face on this shirt, a chimpanzee wearing a king's crown, you don't know who it's really about. We're just making fun of, uh, you know, being the king. Or it's just something cute. It's an animal wearing a crown and it's a cool design. Or you do make the connection. Yeah, Joe Biden is a chimpanzee. Or you do make the connection. Yeah, Trump looks like a chimpanzee. But we're not saying it's Trump. We're not saying it's Joe Biden. We want to connect with everyone. And we don't want to shove it in your face what your interpretation should be, how it should make you feel like. We want to leave that up to you. This is really kind of clever, right? If you don't, if you don't connect the dots for people and you put this art out there, by the way, I could be wrong, but you're hoping that your audience, again, makes their own connection, makes their own interpretation, and then starts to debate it and share it with each other. That's exactly it. Like, this is what I'm seeing. What are you seeing? Maybe this is just Seven putting out a question about what's your government really doing? We don't want to feed you the question to ask. We want you to have a reason to ask that question. Now, by the way, now we're getting into a whole a whole different discussion, which is a separate podcast about how do you market this effectively? I have to be me. And that's, that was, that's why I said at the beginning, this was so fucking hard because I actually have to be me unapologetically, shamelessly, 
in a structured format be me. So it's like, well, how do I do that? Because I'm used to not being me for so many years. I'm used to working for somebody else, especially if you work for a local, state, federal government. You don't have the right to be you. You're representing the state. You're representing the federal government. And that's that's the irony of it. If you're representing your own country, your own government, the very place you were born and raised in, it just doesn't make sense to me to not be yourself. If I'm from Los Angeles and you're telling me be formal, be professional, it's like, what does that actually mean? What are you really trying to tell me? Mm-hmm. You're trying to tell me only say what's great about us, only show people the shiny stuff so that they suffer from shiny object syndrome, so that when something weird happens, like the air is red from all the forest fires, people are surprised because they're like, but I thought everything was okay in LA County. I thought everything was going fine and dandy. My political leader told me. My finely polished, nice suit-wearing political leader told me. That's not representative of the average person in LA. The average person in LA is right now in traffic. That is where a political leader should be filmed. Hey, I'm in traffic right now, driving just like you are. That's how it should be presented. So I I need to be myself. That's also why we don't trust our political leaders. They don't look or act anything like you and I do. So how do you tie your, let's just say your LinkedIn post, your Instagram post, Facebook, Twitter, whatever it is, to the brand? Like, do you say, here's our latest shirt? Like, just say, hey, what do you think? I have actually asked that. I have asked. I'm like, just outright made a selfie video asking, what do you guys look for in shirts? What do you folks seriously look for? What are the top three things? Is it fit? Is it feel? Is it color? Does it matter on the season? You know, if it's summertime, do you want it to be much, much thinner material? Do you care about the color if it's during summertime? Do you want just warmer colors? Oh, men like dark colors, even if it's summertime. Oh, men don't like the V-neck, but the women do. It's like, these are things I, I, I don't know what the answers for a teenager are going to be versus the 20-year-old, 30-year-old, 40-year-old, 50-year-old. I honestly don't know. And I was thinking about like, just instead of wondering about this, let me just ask people. Let me just take videos where I'm literally asking, what do you want? What do you want on a shirt? And then the next video I'll be making today is asking outright, where do you buy your clothes? Right? The pandemic changed things. I've stopped buying my clothes in person. So uh, just asking asking questions that that really I'm already asking as is. And also you were mentioning, how am I tying it into my, my experiences? How am I going about making the content? I'm thinking about things like, for example, I almost bought Impossible uh, Foods beef this weekend. I w- Honestly, it was because of the price. And I thought maybe I'm buying something of, of quality here. I didn't buy it. That relates to the clothing company. Why? I used to have very serious digestive issues. I had IBS for 10 years. I thought that was normal. I really thought that was that's what everybody else has. Eating cereal with milk in the morning, hamburgers, our regular American diet, right. giving me IBS. I thought that was normal. It's not normal. You're not supposed to be doing number two several times a day, right? So I went through that. I don't want to go through those aches and pains. Being on a date and you're bloated, and you're holding in gas. It's funny now. It wasn't funny during the moment, especially when you're a teenager and it cripples you mentally. Yeah, sure. I want to talk about those experiences. 
I want to let that 18-year-old know that has a bunch of acne all over the face, serious gas, trying to take out his girlfriend. Like I'm like, I've been in your shoes before. I know what it's like. And I know you're looking for, for something more. I know you're looking for answers, right? So if I bring up that topic and I go, we created one an art piece about gut health and our experiences of having ruined our gut health and how we have to restore it. I know there's people out there like that. And I know they may look at these. So that's why I want to kind of wrap things up with. To me, it seems like that's the first question, right? Do people buy into the concept that you're going to raise these topics and subjects and questions in art form, right? And get them known, right? Whatever, whatever issue or topic it might be. And I think the color, the material, the size becomes secondary, right? You can solve that problem right? That's customer research, right? I like a shirt to fit this way, this color. You get those things down. and then, But the messaging, because by the way, I could buy that shirt, this ideal summer t-shirt from 25 different companies online right now, but they don't have your brand or messaging. When I see you, when I see you say, hey, this is our latest campaign and here's what we, here's why we created this, this piece of art, right? Yeah. I, as a kid, experienced, experienced IBS. This is why I suffered. This is for people who have some sort of a medical condition that are afraid of it, don't understand it, it changes their life, they're stressed out about it, there's hope, right? And by the way, see the link in the bottom. We've, we've linked to the IBS Foundation's website. Here are two people you can talk to. Now you start to get really cool, important issues out there. And the cool thing is, is like you said, there's not a shirt that says IBS sucks on it. It's a piece of art. And you may have to explain. I love it when someone says, "Hey, why are those lightsabers behind you? You know, what's the hawk up in the the eagle up in the thing behind you there? What's the, because there's a story. Your message is there, and right? Each artwork that was created by the artist was not random at all. There is a message. There is a meaning behind every single one that has that he has created, and that's that's why when you look at some of them, they're a little provocative. They're a little confrontational. There is one where it's Alan's Greenspan. Uh, essentially, I believe he was the head of treasury at one point in time, or or for a long period of time, if I'm, if I got the role, the correct title. I think he was treasury secretary, right? And I mean, not like for a few years, a long time. And there's an art piece where it's him with a smile, with a gun pointed behind the head of a blue collar worker. It's obvious it's a blue collar worker with a hard hat and the lunch bin, you know, and it's Alan Greenspan on a mural. But it looks real life. It looks like he's really about to shoot that blue collar worker in the back of head. And around the slogan is taking deposits now, you know, U.S. Treasury. Sure. And why did we create that piece? Not because we want to poo-poo the American government. No, I love this country. I want the government to improve. So why did we create that piece? Because blue collar workers get shit on in this country. They are the first ones to suffer when there's a tax increase. They're the first ones to suffer when there's a environmental injustice issue. They're the first ones to suffer when there's a pandemic, yeah. when the economy crashes, when there's a housing bubble. He was the chairman of the Federal Reserve and not the Treasury Secretary, as I mentioned earlier, but it's interesting that image is actually an image of a blue collar worker in front of an image of Alan Greenspan. That's deep. And we had to do that one because why? Again, not to poo-poo the government, our life experiences relating to it. It's telling a story of something that happened to the artist when he was in Canada trying to move to L.A. in his early 20s. 
trying to make it big here in LA. This is where the art scene is. This is where it's happening. You know, you're an artist, you're a musician, you're, you want to get into acting, TV, film, you got to come to LA. So that's what he did. And on his journey here, he worked blue collar jobs, you know, dishwasher in a restaurant in LA, a busy Mediterranean restaurant. He learned how to make some of the best hummus in the world, but he also worked himself to the bone. $6 an hour is not exactly a living wage, right? And so he tries to go for, he gets fired unjustly. He tries to find out if he could get unemployment, this, that. He's paying taxes at this point. There's no help whatsoever. Well, art is that. Art is in the eye of the beholder. It's the in the eye of the artist. I mean, and it's free. That's why this country is great. You should be able to produce art. And if you don't like it, turn it off, switch the channel, walk away, ignore it. I, the other thing, that was the other thing in that uh, post I wrote is, I have every right just to go past your post if I don't like him, Cito. Right? I can just I just go past it. I can unfollow you. I can do whatever I want. You have every right to express your opinion. And if it doesn't jive with me, I just don't have to follow it. I'm, I'm not offended by it if you don't agree with me. I just don't have to follow it. I don't have to buy your product. I don't have to endorse it. And that's what people forget is, and, and this is coming back to your parents, right? Your parents understood this for sure, which is, I'm not offended by you. I just don't have to agree with you. Don't, you don't offend me. They don't know what being offended means. Right? No, not at all. Triggering? Like, they're like, what's trigger? Like, gun trigger? Like, they, they don't get it when, when I say trigger. Like, when we talk about cancel culture, like on LinkedIn, it, it, it's happened so many times. I had a post, surprisingly, very surprisingly go viral that I thought was going to get me deplatformed off LinkedIn. But I'm like, it's just like trying out that first hundred, uh, uh, you know, mile ultra marathon. I'm like, yeah, I may break a bone. Yeah, I may get deplatformed on LinkedIn. How the hell am I going to know if I don't try this? And so I did. I posted something. I posted something provocative, if you want to call it. Honestly, I was just posting something that was coming from the from the heart. It resonated with me. So I posted it. Yep. Six and a half million impressions. Wow. The people spoke. They want to hear it. They want to, these topics to be spoken about publicly on LinkedIn. Yeah, there were a few people saying this isn't Facebook. Yeah, you know what? Fuck off. Go to Facebook then. Because last I checked, work-life balance doesn't exist. That was something that was planted in our heads since we were children so that we can become excellent blue-collar workers. Where did the school system even come up from? Because there were minors, families that were trying to fund the Industrial Revolution's needs. You got mom and dad now working out in the mines. What are the kids going to do? Let's create a school for them so that they can replace their parents because we're not going to give their parents workman's comp. We're not going to give them breaks. We're going to make them work through the summer without water breaks. And we're going to, we want your kids to replace them. Buddy, we've got to go for a part two on this because we haven't even tapped into it yet. And I'm going to schedule it for a little ways out because I want to see how seven takes off, right? I want to see how the business goes. And, and for me, t-shirts are the commodity. Art isn't. Art is a rarity. It's deeply passionate. And if you find it, by the way, if you've got a post that had 6 million views, You've touched on something. And the people spoke very, very loud. The naysayers were like this. I can't even count the naysayers on, on my hand because the yaysayers were like this. The naysayers may be a piece of dust in, in this parcel of air here. Yeah. You got to drill down into that. There's so much depth here, like I said earlier in the, in the podcast. I love people have got some deep you know, richness. Like you said, some darkness. I've seen some things, right? I think you said buckets of shit. 
So oh yeah, you've had some buckets of shit, but if you've got a post with 6 million views, there's a small, small percentage of people on LinkedIn that can say that. And you know, when you find what resonates, you find your voice. And it sounds to me like you're finding it, still shaping it. But uh, man, we wish you nothing but the best of luck. It's fascinating to me. I love this episode. Uh, can't wait to promote it and can't wait to find out uh, what seven looks like in six months, buddy. Me too, man. And I'm a little scared and I want to be because it, it's the way I work. I need pain. So be it in the, in the form of fear, be it in the form of possibly failing. I need that pain. That's what keeps me going forward. Yeah, one day, maybe I won't need that pain anymore. But uh, right now, I want that pain because the pain of not being myself is far greater than the pain of being myself. Absolutely, brother. Awesome. Thanks, Yato. I appreciate it. Thank you, Pete. Thanks for checking out Eating Crow. Like and subscribe so you never miss a video. 